Good morning again. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 70. That's on page 484 of the Bible. Is there in front of you with you in the chair if you're using those? And this passage is written by David, and you'll notice in the heading, perhaps if it's in your Bible, that it's written for the memorial offering. And this is recorded back in Leviticus chapter 2. The memorial offering was a portion of the grain offering which was offered up to the Lord, and God gave specific instructions to them that the priest was to take a handful of flour and some frankincense and oil, and he was to go and put it on the altar, and it would be consumed there and go up before the Lord as a burnt offering to him. And commentators note that it served, this memorial portion served, as a reminder for God's people to to call out to God and for them to call on him to remember them in their time of need and that God would show them favor. And as we read this passage, you'll see that it's very fitting for this occasion because Psalm 70 is simply a cry for help. David is in dire circumstances and he says, Make haste, O Lord, to deliver me. And what we're going to see in this passage is one, one big theme, one big idea, and that's this, that you and I need to cry out to Jesus because his help is worth the wait. We need to cry out to Jesus because his help is worth the wait. And we're going to see that unfold throughout this psalm. In the first three verses, we'll see an urgent plea as David comes before the Lord and he cries out for God to come in haste to help him. In verse 4, we're going to see a hopeful cry that David looks forward to the time of rejoicing in God's salvation. And lastly, we're going to see a sobering sigh as David once again brings his need before the Lord and sits and waits. So before we read this passage together, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it, it rightly perceives, Lord, understands and exposes our hearts, Lord, the thoughts and our, the intentions of our heart. And Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning. Would you expose our sin and would you show us Jesus and that our only hope is found in Christ alone. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room collectively would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now God's word from Psalm 70. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, in the Presbyterian classic, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, there's a scene there in that movie where um, Gondor calls for aid, and Gandalf and Pippin are in Gondor, and the steward who's on the throne of Gondor, he's in rough shape. Mentally, everything's just, 
He's in, he's, having, he's in tough times, and he is in no position and has no one in his heart to call for help. But Gandalf and Pippin know that with the enemies of Gondor crashing in around them, they need rescuing. And so Pippin climbs up the tower, and he lights the beacon of Gondor. And what happens is the beacon triggers a series of beacons across the mountain range all the way to where Aragorn is. And he's in the city and he sees the beacons lit. And he's in Rohan and he, when he sees this, he runs to the town. He bursts into the chambers of the king of Rohan and he says, the beacons are lit. Gondor calls for aid. And after a little pause, the, the king of Rohan looks into the camera and says, and Rohan will answer. And it makes you just, it's like, yes, let's go. We're ready. Gondor's calling for aid and a response is coming. And that, that's what's going on here in Psalm 70. David is lighting the beacon. David is in desperate need of God's help, and he calls on the Lord. He says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. His enemies are surrounding him. His adversaries are like crashing in, and so he calls on God for help. And so what we see in this passage is that's what we need to do. We need to cry out to Jesus because his help is worth the wait. And so first, we see an urgent plea. There in the first few verses, David says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And he talks about his adversaries around him. He says, Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. And this word kind of means like a, like a malicious joy. This word, aha, if you can imagine enemies gloating over you, as one commentator notes, um, enemies that delight at nothing more than seeing David's ruin and see him brought down. And David, in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of grave danger, he cries out to the Lord, God, make haste to help me. God, come and deliver me. It's a, it's a true cry, almost like a child like crying out in terror and fear in the middle of the night. And you know if you heard something like that, you would drop anything and everything in your hand to rush to that child's aid. And so it is as David, the child of God, cries out to him, asking the Lord, Lord, make haste to deliver me. So my question for us this morning is, have you, have you come to a place in your life where you are desperate for God's help? Have you come to a place in your life where you have felt the weight of your need, where you have felt the weight of your circumstances, or perhaps the overwhelming burden of the sin in your life, and realize, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. I think as people, we, we hate feeling needy. We want to do things on my own, like my my older brother, who was younger at the time, don't, don't tell him I told you all this, but when we were really young, we had this old minivan, and my dad, I guess they were in a hurry, he grabbed my brother, put him in the car, and they drove off down the road. And my brother just started screaming and started crying because he wanted to get in the van himself. He did not want my dad to help him anymore until my dad finally turned the van around, drove back to the house, got him out of the van, and let him climb in so he would just stop screaming. Oftentimes, that, that's us. We try every method. We try as much as we can, as hard as we can, to do things on our own. We try to live the Christian life in our own strength. But what we find is we can't do it. We cannot do this life on our own. Friends, you cannot face the trials, face your sin, face your hardship, face the enemy within and the enemies without on your own. You're in need of God's help. 
And this passage calls us to cry out to Jesus, to turn to him, to look to him for aid. And so if you're here this morning, maybe you felt that for a long time. Maybe you felt a need in your heart, long for God's help, and you've been crying out for long periods of time for God's rescue, for God's deliverance, and you just wish he would hurry up. Friend, don't numb your need this morning. When you feel the weight of your need, when you feel the weight of your helplessness, when you feel the circumstances, the trials, the sin in your life is too great of a burden to bear, go to Jesus who said to all those around him, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Y'all, true rest, the true help that we need is found in Christ alone. It's not in our own efforts. It's not in our striving. In the words of the prelude, we're not the right man on our side. Our striving would be losing. Friend, this morning you need Jesus' help, and you need it now. Cry out to Jesus because his help is worth the wait. Well, there's an urgent plea, but also there's a hopeful cry. In verse 4, he says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. David looks forward to a time of rejoicing, a time of gladness at the salvation of God. And he doesn't want that just for himself, but he wants that for everybody. He wants that for all of God's people, all of those who long for God's help. He wants them to rejoice and to be glad and to experience the joy of God's salvation. But oftentimes we have to wait. Oftentimes in the moment of trial, in the moment of our struggle, it feels like God is just waiting far too long. God, hasten to deliver me. God, what is taking so long? Friends, how do we wait well? How do you wait with hope? How do you wait when it seems like help is taking a while to get there? Well, one of the things that we have to do is we have to remember what Jesus has already done. And we know that Jesus' help is always worth the wait because help came before we ever asked for it. Jesus came as the bread of life who came into this world and who offered himself as a sacrifice that was pleasing to God on our behalf. He bore your sin. He bore my sin and carried that in his body as he went to the cross and as he died for us. And one of the ways that Jesus meets us in our need is he meets us in this meal. He meets us in the Lord's Supper where he reminds us that he has come and that he came and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He came so much out of his great love that he had for us. Even while we were his enemies, even while we were still sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. And in his great love, he came and he gave his life for us. But it also reminds us of something else. It strengthens us to remember of a day when he is going to come again. As sure as Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, Jesus promises that he is coming again. He told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if he's preparing a place, isn't he going to come and bring us there to be with him forever? Y'all, it's hard to hope in the hour of waiting. It's hard to rejoice when your heart is filled with sorrow. But Jesus said these words. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are sad. Blessed are those who are waiting, for they shall be comforted. 
And David says, may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Friends, there is coming a day, the day that we hope for, when for all of eternity we will say that together. God is great. Look at what God has done. Even even as we waited, even in our trial, even in our hardship, even in our, our dire need that we feel and we experience this morning, Jesus is coming again. And he is going to rescue us. Ultimately, David's prayer is answered in Jesus. Listen to how Paul sums this up in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Y'all, waiting, waiting with hope can be hard to do. But it's even sometimes in our circumstances when they're really hard that we feel and that we find Jesus is most close to us. We got to go on a, on a trip to the Johnny and Friends family retreat recently. And the founder of Johnny and Friends, Johnny Erickson Tata, she suffered a tragic accident when she was younger that left her pretty much paralyzed all over. And we were watching a video at this camp, and she said in the video, she said, my pain presses me up against Jesus. Often God allows the things that he hates in our lives to accomplish that which he loves. Christian, what he loves... Friends, who he loves is us. He loves you, and what he wants more than anything is for you to grow closer to him, for you to feel your need of him, even as the hymn says, all the fitness he requires is that we feel our need of him. Often our circumstances will scream in our ears that God has forgotten you, that help isn't coming. If God cared about you, he would have been here by now. But what the Bible reminds us is That in our hour of need, in our darkness, in our suffering, even when we were lost and dead in our sin, Jesus came for us and he rescued us. He entered in to our world of sorrow as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he died on the cross for our sins. So Christian, cry out to Jesus because his help is worth the wait. And we see that in our last point, lastly and briefly, in verse 5. He says, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. It's almost like David walks through a revolving door. And you know how it happens oftentimes. You end up back in the same room where you started. David finds himself once again sitting before the Lord in his need. And that's where this passage ends. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but one of the things that is so helpful, and I think Brian mentioned this recently, is so helpful about the Bible is it doesn't rush past your suffering. It gives dignity to the moment of our waiting. It gives dignity to our hardship. And even in the end of the psalm, as it concludes, David is sitting before the Lord and he says, God, I am poor and needy. God, I need you. Would you rescue me? And sometimes it feels like we're just sitting in the room like a loading screen, waiting on help to arrive. And it makes me think of John 11, where if you're familiar with the story, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick, and so they send to Jesus for help. And Jesus is away, and he receives the, the message that they say, you know, the one that you love, Jesus, is sick. And Jesus waits. 
And I wonder what Mary and Martha must have felt when they sent for Jesus and they kept waiting. They saw their brother pass away. And then they waited four more days. And finally, Jesus shows up. And they run to Jesus and they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Basically saying, Jesus, where were you? Jesus, what, t- what took you so long? Jesus, why didn't you come immediately when we asked? But I wonder as they saw Jesus stare death in the face, as he walked to Lazarus' tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out, and they saw their brother walking out of that tomb alive and well, and they saw the beauty and the power and the authority of Jesus, that he has power as the resurrection and the life over death. If they thought in that moment, you know, I'm glad Jesus waited. It was worth it. It was worth it. Now, I remember a pastor saying one time, he said, he said, you know, if, if the future you, the glorified you, that's with Jesus experiencing his presence and his glory forever, if that, if that you could come back to the you now that's going through trial and hardship, and that's crying out to Jesus, that you would say, hang on just a little while longer. It's going to be worth it. Christian, the hardship that you're enduring, the suffering that you're going through, even as Jesus said in his hour of need, in this world you're going to face trial. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Christian, we do not suffer without hope. But we know that because Jesus died for us and rose again and he is coming again, his help is going to be worth the wait. When he comes again, it will be worth it. And that's the joy that we get to experience as we come to this table this morning, as we remember God's promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. And as Jesus said, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. No matter what hardship you're facing this morning, Jesus is with you. And if you're here today and you've never called out to God for help, if you've never turned to him and felt the weight of your sin and the burden that you're carrying, do that this morning. Cry out to Jesus. See that he is a Savior who loves to save sinners, and he is very good at it. I love the hymn that we sang during the offertory, the words of abide with me. Listen to what, listen to these words. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself, my guide and stay, can be through cloud and sunshine. Abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death sting? Where grave is thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, Lord, abide with me. Christian, life is hard. Life is difficult and waiting on Jesus to come can feel, can feel long and tiring But what this passage reminds us to do is to cry out to Jesus because his help is always worth the wait. Our waiting is a beautiful thing 
in his eyes. And this passage is a gracious invitation for us to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, come soon. Come, Lord Jesus. To which Jesus replies, behold, I am coming soon. Y'all, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But when he does, it will be soon. And it will be worth the wait. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving dignity to our suffering and our hardship. Thank you for reminding us that in our hour of darkest need, when we were lost and dead in our sin, Jesus, you came and you gave your life for us. You bore all of our sin. You carried our shame. You endured the full weight of the cross so that we could be saved. And so that just as sure as you have risen from the dead, we know that our hope lives because, Jesus, you live. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.